Psalm 103 is our passage for this morning. If you'll make your way there, you know, you can take your Bible, right? Remember this as a child? Split it down the middle and open it. You should hit Proverbs or Psalms or Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, somewhere in there. And locate Psalm 103. Our emphasis will be upon verses 1 through 5. However, the entire psalm is pretty incredible. I will encourage you to read it in its entirety. Sometimes we need to give ourselves a good talking to. Now, Don Currents does that around the church, whether you're around him or not. Because he talks to himself. But that's a good thing, for sure, if you're doing it. In regard to Psalm 103. Listen to David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Here is how to work the gospel of Jesus Christ into your heart. You know that, uh, obviously, this was written hundreds of years before the time of Christ, when he actually condescended from heaven to come to this earth. But you understand that Jesus is the story of the Old Testament, And the gospel is all over the Bible. And here we're able to see the gospel, hear the gospel. And we're called by God to see how that works in our heart in order to transform us. And I would remind you that it's hard to be transformed inwardly if you don't dwell on the gospel. And if you're a complainer or you are a discouraged person, full of anxiety and fear... And the greatest thing you can ever do is to speak the gospel to yourselves. It'll change your life. And that's what Psalm 103 is all about. That's the way this psalm begins. David is prodding himself. He's prompting himself. He is urging himself. He is stirring himself up to bless the Lord. Now to bless means to say good things about the Lord But to do so in the spirit of appreciation and admiration and gratitude and wonder and awe for who our God is. So David prods himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Remember his benefits. Speak of his wonders. Tell of his greatness. And after two verses of self-prodding follows some 17 reasons to bless the Lord. Now I'm not going to have a 17-point sermon. That's why I told you we're only going to do verses 1 through 5. Okay? But you will see those throughout The entire psalm. So these are the benefits that perhaps David, well he definitely has, he's forgotten them. These are things that David should cherish about his God that would make his soul bless the Lord. These are things that we should cherish that help us bless our God. So when he comes to the end of all of this self-prodding and desiring to praise the Lord, he's not satisfied with his own soul blessing the Lord, but he also asks all of creation and the angels to join him. Verses 19 and 20. He has remembered so much of God that he can't be satisfied until the angels and all the works of creation join him in blessing the Lord. I am so thankful 
that our God has taken the initiative to reveal Himself to us. Now, He's done so through general revelation. And we know what that is. God speaks to us through His creation, uh, wherein His invisible attributes are made known by what He's created around us. In other words, you just only need to look around at the moon and the stars and the heavens and all that God has created to know that our God exists. But He's also spoken to us specifically And this is not general revelation, but specific revelation. And He has spoken to us through His Word. Finally and forthrightly, so that we know who our God is. And I'm so thankful that God has done this. That He's taught us who He is and what He is like. And then by His grace, we see the revelation of His glory. We see it in the past benefits and wonders. We see it in the present mercies that we have. We see it in the future promises that all of us hold to today. Now, I feel that in my own soul, there's always this sense of shortfall between spiritual perception of the greatness and grandeur of our God and my spiritual affection in actually worshiping God. Does anybody else feel that shortfall or that, uh, that missing part of your soul? You're also super spiritual. You'd never feel that way, right? <laughs> well, I can tell that you've got that disconnect when I see you sing. Or not sing. So here's the deal. The intensity of my worship never seems up to what His glory deserves. Right? You know it's true. You know it's true. Uh, and I think the gospel of Jesus Christ also is the remedy of that. Why do we have to plead with our own souls? Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Come on, soul. Where are you? Have you ever been there? Why do we sleep before this God? With all of glory that he has. Why are we dull? Why are we sluggish? Wake up, my soul. Look at what God has done. Look at what he is like. We feel like part of us sees something of it and begins to feel a response to the greatness and holiness of God. But only part of us does it. So we've got to preach to ourselves. And that's what David does. Just as we say those words... We, live, we always realize that our response to our God is always partial. Why don't you look forward to that day when it's uninhibited? Nothing standing in the way. So we sense this all that is within us. Y'all note the alls. We could just really preach the alls in this passage, but we're not going to do that. But you note that all that is within me. So I hope and pray that you let your sense of discontent this morning, the fact that your soul isn't fully kicking, Press you to cry out to the Lord God, O my soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me. Not some of me, not just half of my heart, not just half my energy, not just half my mind, but all that is within me, bless His holy name. So this psalm is written in hymnic fashion, which you know that the Psalter is the Hebrew hymn book. How many of you knew that? It's 150 hymns. Nobody knew that. Oh, I see a few hands kind of skirting up. This is the Hebrew, Hebrew hymn book. This is the Psalter. This is what they put to music. That's why you have Selah, Selah, uh, meaning uh, what do you think of that or what do you think of this? So you sing a course and then you reflect on what you've learned about the king, about the Lord. So it's in hymnic fashion that it's delivered to us of all the benefits bestowed upon David first in 1 through 5 and then 6 through 18 It's how God has blessed with benefits to the nation of Israel. What can we say about our own country in that regard? 
And then 19 through 22, David calls all created beings to praise the Lord. Folks, before you can ever praise, you have to ponder. When's the last time you just sat and thought about the Lord? All His benefits. Before you can remember, before you can rejoice, you need to take time to remember. And here this morning are five benefits that are better than any benefit package you can ever receive with your job. Don't we always like to talk about that? What's my benefits? What's the benefit package that I'm going to get out of this job? Well, here's the greatest benefit package you could ever receive. John Stott wrote of this psalm. We have here the authentic utterance of a redeemed child of God who piles up words to express his gratitude to the grace of God in our salvation. So here's what I would remind you of. Only redeemed people know how to give God back glory for these five benefits. And if you don't know the Lord today, we would only pray that God Almighty would resurrect your heart. Take that which is dead and make it alive. You know what that's called, don't you? It's called the doctrine of regeneration. Wherein God takes something that is dead, gives life to it, and makes it alive. Here it is, Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Only God can take something that is dead and make it alive. Thus He's the God of resurrection. So I agree with John Stott. Only redeemed people, only a redeemed child of God can pile up all these expressions of praise to God. Okay, you ready? That was all introduction. Are you still with me? And we got a bunch of time. All righty. Here we go. Number one, just look down through the text. He forgives all your iniquity. The very first thing David is thankful for is the forgiveness of sin. It's the crown jewel of the gospel. Is it not? And rightly so. For this is the greatest of all benefits that the child of God can receive. And the first that we need to have above all things is the forgiveness of sin. We can receive this forgiveness only because God gave us His Son. Gave up His Son by death on the cross to procure our forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That was an outlook from the Old Testament understanding of which Christ is the fulfillment of all of it. Not a priest that would enter in for you, a human priest that could make that atonement that would last for a year, that would have a partial covering and not full. But when Jesus came, Hebrews tells us that He offered up that one sacrifice for all time to forgive us of our sins. And it need not be repeated. It's not a surprise that He starts here because I think forgiveness of sins is the foundation of everything else. Why? Because our greatest problem is the guilt we feel because of our sin. And our greatest need is to be forgiven by the Lord. To have that forgiveness. Note that David says God forgives all our iniquity. Is that not good news? That he forgives all our iniquity. Mm, Some of us have really blown it big time. Do Do we need to have a little confession time? Of how much we have blown it. We've messed up over and over and over and over again. And we've done the same dumb things repeatedly, even after promising, Lord, I'll never do it again. Think about that. Most of us secretly imagine that when Christ came and died for us, that our past sins were forgiven. 
But then we're kind of in a foot race with the devil to the end of our life. To try to stamp out all these sins and, and how we're going to deal with these sins. But I want to remind you that when Christ died, all of your sins were future. The part of atonement that is so incredibly, so incredible and amazing is that when Christ died, He died for all your sins. Past, present, future. All of our sins are covered. Otherwise, you would have no acceptability before the Father. If, if the Father looks at you and sees sin, there's no entrance into heaven. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is your substitute? That when the Father sees the Son, He sees, or the Father sees you, if you're in Christ, He sees His Son. And you are perfectly pardoned because of Jesus. Not because of yourself, but because of the Lord. And when Christ, we, we, when we come to Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. Even the yet-to-be-committed sins. Ones that would shock us if we knew that we would commit them even right now. What a God we serve, folks. What a God of grace. He forgives all of our sins. Past, present, future. That's a huge insight, is it not? Because it touches how we see God. This morning, for some of you, I want you to know that He is a whole lot more willing to forgive than you are to be forgiven. We need to remember that, don't we? He's the God of forgiveness. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of the Son of God that we can have forgiveness. It's not an excuse to sin because you know your future sins are forgiven. If that's your attitude, then you probably don't have forgiveness. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be good. Confess your sins and He is faithful and just. Always remember that's actually written to Christians. Be faithful to confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is that written? Well, not for relationship, but for fellowship. Why? Because if you're not willing to say the same thing about your sin that God says, then you can't have fellowship with the Lord. It doesn't change your sonship, but it does change your fellowship. Aren't you thankful that He has forgiven us? Praise the Lord for forgiveness of sins. Do you have it this morning? Have you been forgiven by Christ? The only way you can receive that is to receive Jesus as Lord and as Savior. To repent and turn from sin and self and trust Jesus only for salvation. Well, it makes a big difference when you can lay your head on your pillow at night knowing full well that if you awake, you awake in eternity with Christ. Why? Because your sins have been paid for. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Second benefit, He heals your diseases. He heals all your diseases. You know, after doctors and nurses have done all they can, and after we've used all the latest technology and the newest drugs, ultimately, folks, healing must come from the Lord. Y'all do know that. Why do we pray for the sick? We pray because we ask God to use medicine and use surgery or use some other course of treatment that the individual may find healing. And we pray. Why? Because we know our God can still send a miracle. God can heal. All of those things are possible. They're not mutually exclusive. If uh, you were sick and you are now healthy, you better thank God for it. Right? If your cancer is in remission, give God thanks. If you've nearly died after an accident and somehow God allowed you to survive, you need to give thanks to the Lord. All of us need to. And remember that any healing that we have is limited. It's only temporary. The ultimate healing is coming in glory 
when you see Jesus face to face. So our ultimate healing comes when God raises our bodies immortal and incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15 says that mortal and corruptible bodies cannot inherit heaven. So if you happen to be alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, He's still going to change your body. You're not going to take the one you have up to glory. You're going to be given a new body that is immortal, can't die, and incorruptible. It cannot see corruption. That's going to be a happy day in Resurrection Day, right? When the Lord Jesus comes and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive shall meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then at last, we'll be totally, completely, and finally healed for all. But between now and then, we need to thank the Lord God Almighty that when you took that aspirin, your headache went away. You say, well, I mean, that's medicine that did that. Well, who gave the ability and the wisdom to make the medicine? you got to think, folks. you got to think about this. Good medicine and good prayer go together. I like to pop a few ibuprofen, right? When my neck hurts in the morning or my head hurts. But I always say, Lord, if my neck quits hurting, I know who to give the praise to and the glory to. People say, do you believe in divine healing? Well, I think that's the only kind of healing there is. To get well, folks, it's because of the Lord of glory. It just comes in a different manner or different varieties. But God brings all healing. He redeems your life from the pit. Benefit number three. Now, it means to rescue in time of trouble. The pit refers to death itself. Now, that's interesting. God brings us back to the very... God will bring you back from the very brink of death. Is the good understanding here. So, God has redeemed him, rescued him, delivered him by sparing him from death. And if you're flowing together, again, remember how you do biblical exegesis. You've got to see what's before and what's after. I think this is connected directly to healing us from diseases. Because if you're not healed this side of heaven, you're going to die. Right? You won't, you won't be spared from death. So this benefit may be hard for us to grasp, but... Think about for a moment your speedometer in your car. Think about the thousands of miles that you've driven with no accident. Yet people are killed. I heard it on the radio. Headed down the road yesterday. There was a really bad accident uh, what, up maybe north. Somewhere where I know they said the coroner had been called. I thought to myself, Lord God, that could be me. It could be you. Yet, every single day, people are killed on the highway, but you're not killed when you could have been. You ever thought about that driving down the road? When Nat and I are making that track from here, uh, 775 miles to Georgia? Well, we think about, I think about that. You know, Lord, if it were not for you and your redeeming us from the pit, keeping us from death, that would be us. God has preserved me at this very moment, and he has protected me every step of my journey. And if you're sitting in here and you can hear this sermon, that's true for you. He has redeemed your life from the pit. You know that nothing can happen to you if you're a child of God without God's permission. Satan himself cannot touch you without God's permission. Don't you love that interchange between the enemy and Jesus when he wants to come after Peter, calls him to fail, and Jesus said, uh, says to Peter, the enemy has desire to sift you as wheat. wheat. Uh, but when you are converted which doesn't mean salvation, it means when there's a change of mind and you understand my plan in your life, then uh, you're going to go and serve me. When you're converted, here's what you... 
Boy, do you ever do that at the day of Pentecost, right? So we think about that. But here's the deal. Jesus allowed the enemy to sift Peter. Nothing comes into your life that's not first filtered through the Father's hands. When you belong to Him. And so, mm, think about every day that the Lord has rescued us and delivered us. I think uh, that we could say from that, that, look, 103, excuse me, 139, 16, listen to this, don't turn. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Mm. What's that mean? That means God Almighty knew you before you were formed, and He knows the very day you're going to die. Y'all believe that? Well, you don't, have to, you don't have to get mad at the preacher, because I didn't first say it, right? The Word of God says it clearly. Psalm 139, verse 16. What does that mean for us? Well, we're all going to die someday, and when that moment comes, we may hang or we may drown, but we won't do both. Right? You're only going to die one way, and the Lord God of eternity controls that. To me, that means you ought to live this life on earth with no care of when you're going to die. Every day the Lord rescues us in a million ways that we don't see. His angels encamp around us, and I'm not telling you everybody has a guardian angel. The Bible doesn't say that, but I tell you what, we definitely entertain His angels unaware. Right? We know that. But often we are too flippant about God's protection, aren't we? As if we think we are in charge of everything. What happened today? You may say, well, nothing. But think of what didn't happen. The fact that nothing happened today means that God Almighty is doing His job. You're alive today, right? We might call that the doctrine of perpetual preservation. That God is perpetually bringing you out of that pit. It means that while we are on earth, we got dangers and troubles, and we're constantly seeing these things. But our God is working behind the scenes to protect us from trouble, to clear the way, to give us strength for the new day. Isn't that awesome? The story is told uh, that over a bed in a hospital in England, there is a bronze plaque that bears these words. This bed has been endowed by the savings of a poor man who is grateful for an unexpected recovery. You know what? If, if you could only see from God's perspective and what He does in a day, you'd let that plaque be over your life every day. God, just thank you for unexpected recovery. Number four, He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The older translation calls it loving kindness which would be the equivalent of the New Testament word grace. Correct? So, it's the loyal, unending, unchanging love of God toward us. He heaps these blessings on us. Pours them out on us. Crowns us with, as the Bible phrases it, tender mercies. I wonder why it doesn't say tender justice. There's nothing about justice that's tender. We forget that about our God, don't we? That He is a God that is absolutely just. That's why you have to have Jesus in order to be saved. Because God remains just, and He can also be the justifier to save you from your sins. Right? We've got to think about that. He is absolutely just. 
There's nothing tender about justice. Mercy implies that we failed. It, it implies that there's defeat. But tender mercy means he knows what we're going through. And he knows how to meet you where you are. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of Jesus to save us? So, if we were to receive what we truly deserve, none of us have a chance. Aren't you thankful for mercy? Instead of justice, God gives us mercy. Praise the Lord for it. The crown reminds us of our position as the children of God, crowned with tender mercies. In our day, only kings and queens have crowns. But it's the privilege of every born-again child of God to be crowned with something the world's not crowned with. Loving kindness and tender mercy given to us by God. I have one more. Are you ready? And because it has in it the word satisfied, some of you may say, whoo, I'm satisfied with the sermon at this point. But here it is. He satisfies you with good things. Now the text says he satisfies you with good. Uh, and what that really means is that Nothing on earth can satisfy you except God. It's kind of like the verse, uh, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning if he is your delight and desire first, then he, your desires become his. It's very similar to what's going on here. The good in verse 5 comes from who? It comes from God. Not from things, now think about this, that are around us. One translation says, he fills my life with good things. Now, uh, the fact of the matter is, don't, don't get the impression that God promises you material benefits. This is going to be material things. And of course, he does bless us with material things. But he's not first talking about money or status or promotion or some kind of earthly prosperity or prosperity gospel that we see Preach from a lot of pulpits around the world, but the emphasis is not on what we possess, but on what possesses us. Well, that's a huge understanding. Eugene Peterson captures this nicely in the message. And that's not the book Bible that you ought to study strongly, okay? Word for word, it's a, it is a, definitely a paraphrase, but here's a good statement. Eugene Peterson, he wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. Mm, that's catching... That's catching a little of the meaning here. So to be satisfied means to be so full that you need nothing else. Ah, I sensed this on Thursday. Right? I mean, I ate, and then I didn't have enough of those fried turkey nuggets, wild turkey nuggets. So I went back for a second time. And I ate, and I ate until I was satisfied. Now look, there was a lot of food left. Right? But I was satisfied. Mm. So it is. With our understanding of spiritual life. Other than the fact of this. In two more hours I was hungry. And I was looking for more turkey nuggets. As a matter of fact I ate a few more when we got home from halfway Missouri. Spending time with our friends. We came back home and I had that sensation again. That I'd like to eat something else. And so I ate again. But here David speaks of satisfaction that is deeper than anything the world can offer. Deeper than anything that you can find at the Thanksgiving table. So in many American households, Thanksgiving is a time for three things. Name them for me. Food. Family. One more F. Oh, there you go. That's what it is. And after the meal comes the big event. We all sit at the TV. At least the men do. And the women are usually... Oh, I didn't say that, but, but they're usually talking. 
back in the 1970s, when I was a little kid, the Dallas Cowboys used to be a pretty decent football team. <clears throat> and they had a star running back, and his name was Dwayne Thomas. Now, a lot of you Cowboys fans will not even remember that because you're too young. But some of you might remember it. Who was known, he was very unpredictable. Well, a lot of athletes like that in our day, right? But one year the Cowboys made it to the Super Bowl, and during the lead-up to the big game, someone asked Dwayne Thomas what he thought about playing in the ultimate game. He replied with an answer that you might would think would come out of the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, if this is the ultimate game, then why do we play it again next year? It's pretty smart, isn't it? Why indeed? So it is with everything the world offers. James says it like this, we are here today and we are gone tomorrow. God says to us, it is fading. You are frail. You're all perishing children. And I will give you whatever you need so that you can soar like the eagle. I'm going to satisfy you with the things of God. We desire Him. We seek Him above all things. And He gives us the things in life that matter most. The eagle serves as a symbol of vigor and freedom. And that is associated with the benefits of restoration to divine favor and covenantal status. Aren't you glad that you're in the covenant? That you're saved by grace through faith. That you have the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think I need that. And so do you. There is a way to renew yourself. There's a way to get energy. And your outlook can change. And your attitude can change. And you know what? It's better than aerobics. It's actually cheaper than health food. You ever figured out that stuff's expensive? Right? It's quicker than dieting. And it's a whole lot less strenuous than running. Fill your life with the good gifts that God gives us. It's what God calls us to do. Remember, bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a promise from the Word. So fill your life with the good gifts that God gives. And if you'll let Him, God will do something inside of you eternally that the world cannot offer you. By the way, biblical meditation... Unlike the popular varieties, it's not a relaxation technique for emptying the mind, but rather it is actually something where you fill your mind with truth, using thought and memory to set your soul on fire for Jesus. Mm, we meditate on the truth. And you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Its leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does, it shall prosper. I like that. That's a whole lot better than any other relaxation technique you may have. Put in your mind the truth of the Word of God and set your heart on fire. We should all dwell on the fact that God forgives. And He eventually removes all suffering. Now think about that. You, he has to forgive sin because sin separates you from Him. But He's not going to remove your suffering until you see Him in glory. Why? Because sin separates. But suffering teaches. Suffering changes you. Makes you think more about the Lord of glory. As a matter of fact, you begin to connect the dots of His suffering. 1 Peter chapter 3 reminds us that we've been given a gift. And that gift is to suffer like our Lord. And that suffering teaches you to cling to the Lord. So, the, the forgiveness is there immediately when you ask. Aren't you thankful past, present, and future? But the suffering's not going to be removed. 
But one of these days it will be. We shall see him face to face and you'll know for a reality that God heals you from all your diseases. Correct. In his sermon on Psalm 103, 103, Clovis Chapel says that on the west coast of England there's the grave of a man who was much loved by all that knew him. And when he died, these were the words inscribed on his, as his epitaph or as his headstone. And here's what it said. Here lies a man who was satisfied with Jesus. Chapel then adds this benediction. If that can be said of us, we have sufficient to make all of time and eternity one great Thanksgiving day. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for all the blessed benefits that you give us. Lord, uh, we must confess how much our fear and our anxiety, Lord, our complaining spirit, our attitude is wholly due to the fact that we've forgotten your benefits. God, help us. Help us to think about all that we have in Jesus. To be in Christ. Sins forgive. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There, are, there is therefore now no guilt to those who are in Christ Jesus. God, what a gift you've given us. And not only that, but the promises from our Lord. Who's gone to prepare a place for us. That where he is, we're going to be also. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we're forgiven. That we're crowned with tender mercy, loving kindness. Father, forgive us. Help us speak to our souls until strength is renewed like eagles. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.